Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and you've reached the Book of Mormon Lecture Series. I've been teaching seminary and institute for the last 11 years, and uh, this is an attempt to do a deep dive into the Book of Mormon itself. I'm hoping that you'll find this uplifting and edifying. This is not an official recording of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but every attempt has been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. So if you're ready for a deep dive into the Book of Mormon, here we go. Hi, and welcome back to the Book of Mormon podcast. This is going to be a discussion of Mormon chapter 3. So the Nephites and the Lamanites are fighting. They've just decided to divide the lands among themselves so that the Nephites could be um, in the land northward and the Lamanites would be in the land southward. So there's going to be some gathering going on here. So let's go to Mormon chapter 3, verse 1. And it came to pass that the Lamanites did not come to battle again until ten years more had passed away. And behold, I had employed my people, the Nephites, in preparing their lands and their arms against the time of battle. And it came to pass that the Lord did say unto me, Cry unto this people, Repent ye, and come unto me, and be ye baptized, and build up again my church, and ye shall be spared. The Nephites are given one more chance to repent and avoid the destruction that awaits otherwise. God wants us to repent and will do anything to help us to, so to do. But we still have our agency and may choose not to. Verse 3, And I did cry unto this people, but it was in vain, for they did not realize that it was the Lord that had spared them and granted unto them a chance for repentance. And behold, they did harden their hearts against the Lord their God. Aaron G. Romney said, We who today bear the priesthood of God are the legal heirs to this great commission. Ours is the responsibility of officially declaring repentance unto all the inhabitants of the earth. None are exempt. We must discharge this responsibility regardless of the manner in which our message is received. Joseph Fielding Smith said, That is our duty. When we see evil lurking, when we see dangers confronting the people, and especially the Latter-day Saints, it is our duty to raise the warning voice, and not only in behalf of the Latter-day Saints, but to warn all people. For our mission is one that is worldwide, and we should warn all men and give them the opportunity of repentance, of serving the Lord and keeping his commandments if they will. If they will not, then we have saved our souls. We are clear from the blood of this generation. That is our duty. Verse 4, And it came to pass that after this tenth year had passed away, making in the whole three hundred and sixty years from the coming of Christ, the king of the Lamanites sent an epistle unto me, which gave unto me to know that they were preparing to come again to battle against us. And it came to pass that I did cause my people that they should gather themselves together at the land desolation to a city which was in the borders by the narrow pass which led into the land southward. And there we did place our armies that we might stop the armies of the Lamanites that they might not get possession of any of our lands. Therefore we did fortify against them with all our force. And it came to pass in the 360 and first year the Lamanites did come down to the city of desolation and battle against us. And it came to pass that in that year we did beat them insomuch that they did return to their own lands again. And in the 360 and second year they did come down again to battle and we did beat them again and did slay a great number of them and their dead were cast into the sea. And now, because of this great thing which my people, the Nephites, had done, they began to boast in their own strength and began to swear before the heavens that they would avenge themselves of the blood of their brethren who had been slain by their enemies. Hugh Nibley said, Here are two victories in a row. The Nephites were doing all right. They decided they were unbeatable because of this great thing, and revenge becomes the motive. And then he quotes verse 9 that I just read. Here is the standard scenario of the Western, of course. The bad guys do bad things for the first half of the movie, and the good guys get revenge for the second half. And we love that revenge, catching up with them and shooting them or blowing them up, etc. That revenge is the main scene. John Wayne or someone is the good guy who doesn't, wear, who doesn't want war or anything like it. Then they, the bad guys, do something very, very bad. 
Then the thing we all sit on the edge of our seats and relish is the revenge that follows, because innocent people have suffered and so on. This is the theme of countless police stories, detective stories, and westerns. Mr. Good Guy goes and cleans up the bad guy, but only after he's been driven to the extreme. He has to avenge the blood of his brethren. Well, how about this noble motive of avenging the blood of your brethren, the private eye plot, the police officer whose pal gets shot, and so on? Is not avenging the blood of your brethren an ideal? Isn't it an obligation? Finally, they're going to settle the Lamanite question once and for all with a big battle because they have got them on the run now, but they shouldn't have done that. Verse 10, And they did swear by the heavens and also by the throne of God that they should go up to battle against their enemies and would cut them off from the face of the land. And it came to pass that I, Mormon, did utterly refuse from this time forth to be a commander and a leader of this people because of their wickedness and abomination. The Nephites are now taking the offensive, which is different than from their history. Behold, I had, I had led them, notwithstanding their wickedness, I had led them many times to battle, and had loved them according to the love of God which was in me, with all my heart, and my soul had been poured out in prayer unto my God all the day long for them. Nevertheless, it was without faith, because of the hardness of their hearts. And thrice have I delivered them out of the hands of their enemies, and they have repented not of their sins. They were given three chances to repent here. And when they had sworn by all that had been forbidden them by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that they would go up to, uh, unto their enemies to battle and avenge themselves of the blood of their brethren, behold, the voice of the Lord came unto me, saying, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay. Joseph F. Smith said, Men are not called upon to curse mankind. That is not our mission. It is our mission to preach righteousness to them. It is our business to love and to bless them, and to redeem them from the fall and from the wickedness of the world. That is our mission and our special calling. God will curse and will exercise his judgment in those matters. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, and I will repay. We are perfectly willing to leave vengeance in the hands of God and let him judge between us and our enemies and let him reward them according to his own wisdom and mercy. Joseph Smith said, Brethren, bear and forbear one with another, for so long, for so the Lord does with us. Pray for your enemies in the church, and curse not your foes without. For vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, and I will repay. To every ordained member and to all, we say, Be merciful, and you shall find mercy. Seek to help save souls, not to destroy them. Vengeance is not the same as self-defense, and the differences are important. While the Lord does permit us to fight in defense of our liberty, our homes and families, and our freedom of religion, he does not justify our participation in an offensive war. It is God, not us, who is authorized to deal out retribution to men. Charles Penrose taught that there is a huge difference between going to war for blood, conquest, and to gain territory or power, and going to war to defend ourselves in the spirit of justice, righteousness, and equity. It is essential that we rely on the spirit in all matters of war. And that was by Ludlow. Continuing verse 15, And because this people repented not after I had delivered them, behold, they shall be cut off from the face of the earth. And it shall come to pass that I utterly refused to go up against mine enemies, and I did even as the Lord had commanded me, and I did stand as an idle or unused witness to manifest unto the world the things which I saw and heard according to the manifestation of the Spirit which had testified of things to come. A striking new study has been initiated comparing a subtle recurring pattern of the Book of Mormon with a particular type of human behavior recently identified in the writings of the survivors of Hitler's and Stalin's death camps. 
The dominant response of the few who survived the European concentration camps has been an irrepressible desire to bear witness. The world of death camps and gulags produces a consistent reaction, a will to survive not for oneself, but rather to bear witness to the world in a particular kind of testament or indictment against man's inhumanity to his fellows. Survival is an act involving choice, even when death might seem easier. The utmost concern of such survivors was to hide up a record preserved for future generations. One survivor speaks of his duty to witness as a mission, a sacred task, and a burning within me, screaming record. That, pro that profile has much in common with the human conduct of several people in the Book of Mormon, like Mormon and Moroni, for example. There is the will to remember and record that overcomes one's fears of the surrounding savagery. There is a survivor viewing this ta his task as a sacred duty born out of the realization that no one will be left. And that was by John Welch. Verse 17, Therefore I write unto you Gentiles, and also unto you house of Israel, when the work shall commence, that ye shall be about to prepare to return to the land of your inheritance. Yea, behold, I will write unto all the ends of the earth, yea, unto you twelve tribes of Israel, who shall be judged according to your works by the twelve whom Jesus chose to be his disciples in the land of Jerusalem. And I write also unto the remnant of this people, the Lamanites, who shall also be judged by the twelve whom Jesus chose in this land, and they shall be judged by the other twelve whom Jesus chose in the land of Jerusalem. The reality is that there will be a whole hierarchy of judges under who uh, Christ shall judge the righteous. He alone shall issue the decrees of damnation for the wicked. Verse 20, In these things doth the Spirit manifest unto me, therefore I write unto you all. And for this cause I write unto you, that they may know that ye must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. All are brought back into God's presence to be judged of the Savior. Only those whose garments have been made white in the blood of the Lamb, through faith in his name and by obedience to his laws and ordinances, will hereafter be able to remain in the presence of God living in eternal life. Continuing verse 20, Yea, every soul who belongs to the whole human family of Adam, and ye must stand to be judged of your works, whether they be good or evil. Elder Maxwell said, not only are there individual moments of truth, but there are also collective. As we are meek, we will have a perspective about that moment yet to come when the, the whole human family of Adam will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. But with meekness also comes sober realization that we are our own judges, whether to do good or evil. If we are meek, our minds will not be darkened and we can judge rightly because it is given unto us to judge that we may know good from evil. And the way to judge is as plain as the daylight from the dark night. At that remarkable, sobering, and exhilarating moment, yet future, there will be no proud grievances with the justice of God. The time shall come when all shall see the salvation of the Lord, when every nation, kindred, tongue, and people shall see eye to eye and shall confess before God that his judgments are just. Verse 21. And also that ye may believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, which ye shall have among you, and also that the Jews, the covenant people of the Lord, shall have other witnesses besides him whom they saw and heard, that Jesus whom they slew was the very Christ and the very God. And I would that I could persuade all ye ends of the earth to repent and prepare to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Elder Holland said, The, the principal and commanding figure in the Book of Mormon from first to last is the Lord Jesus Christ. In its unparalleled focus on the messianic message of the Savior of the world, the Book of Mormon is rightly referred to as God's new covenant with the house of Israel. It is literally a New Testament, or to avoid confusion, another testament of Jesus Christ. From the title page to the book's final declaration, this testament reveals, examines, underscores, and illuminates the divine mission of Jesus Christ, as recorded in the sacred accounts of the two New World dispensations, the Jaredites and the Lehites, written for the benefit of a third dispensation, the dispensation of the fullness of times. 
The Book of Mormon has many purposes, but this one transcends all others. Written by prophets and preserved by angels, it was written for the fundamental and eternally essential purpose of convincing the Jew and the Gentile that Jesus is the Christ, the eternal God, manifesting himself unto all nations. Thus, the Book of Mormon is the preeminent statement of God's covenant with and his love for his children here on earth. It is his definitive Latter-day Declaration regarding the atoning sacrifice of his son. It is his great revelation of the greatest revelation God has ever given us. Elder McConkie said, What is the Book of Mormon? It is another testament of Jesus Christ, a new and living witness for Christ, and a holy book that proclaims the divine sonship of our Lord. It is a volume of holy writ that contains the fullness of the everlasting gospel, meaning that it contains a record of God's dealings with the people who had the fullness of the gospel and that their prophets summarized on its pages the things all men must do to gain the fullness of salvation. Those who believe the witness it bears and obey the doctrines it teaches will be led to that further light and knowledge revealed in this day and to the mysteries of the kingdom that the saints alone can receive. It was written by way of commandment and also by the spirit of prophecy and revelation. And it came forth to show unto the remnant of the house of Israel what great things the Lord hath done for their fathers, and that they may know the covenants of the Lord, that they are not cast off forever. And it came forth above all to the convincing of the Jew and Gentile that Jesus is the Christ, the eternal God, manifesting himself unto all nations. I bear testimony that these things are true and say so in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. See you later.